Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was booted! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Pitbull. I think that education is the real revolution because as much as we speak about all the problems that there is in society and the world today, my mother's always told me, son, don't worry, the world's always been coming to an end. Don't let it scare you out of living. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back to Return to the Shadows. We have another deep dive interview today, folks. And I will say this is a very, very, very special guest, someone who's been with us since day one of production till the very last day in the trenches with us, right up close and personal. It is none other than Glenn Warner. Welcome, Glenn. It's so good to see you. Bienvenue à Toronto. There you yeah. go. Thanks so much. And uh, you know what? It's, it's just, you know, we've been away from this for so long. Just listening to the first three episodes so far, I don't know when this one's going to play, but uh, it's just been a real delight listening to you guys carry this forward and, and just like re- remembering everything we went through is quite by, by episode. Very right. interesting. I love it. Yeah. Well, and that's why we wanted to do this podcast. Yeah. You know, it's it's one of those things that all of us, spent so much time together over the course of these years. And and I know I didn't know what I was doing for the most part, not even technically how to make a TV show. And I learned so much <laughs> from you and the rest of the crew. And, you know, it's, it's, those are the memories that I cherish and the things that I carry with me from job to job. So that's, you know, that's why we're here to, to celebrate that. Yeah. No, I, I, I just have been really delighted listening to the show. It's been well, great. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> the weird thing is, is that I realize that, you know, 
when you're a crew member, you just step out and you move on. But you guys have conventions. You still have to carry your characters forward. And and there, you have a oh, fan yeah. base. Believe me, Glenn Warner doesn't have a fan base uh, to... <laughs> Yeah, you do. I'm, yeah, I'm part of the Glenn Warner fan club. <laughs> number I can one say and that. number two. Yeah, right? I am. <laughs> but um, but it's just like I see things posted on Instagram. You guys are carrying this still, even though you've got other gigs and moving on with other shows. It's a big, huge family. Yeah. It's a huge family. Mm-hmm. Beyond our crew, it's a big family. It is. It's the Shadow Fam. Shadow Fam's forever. Yeah. It's. I actually just saw my first. Um, I was at a convention in Dusseldorf, and I just saw my first in person a tattoo of my face as jace on somebody's arm my i was goodness. like holy shit that's that's forever yeah that's yeah. gonna be there forever wow. that's a real that's wow. a real commitment mm-hmm. but glenn so we what we should say first of all or what i would like to say first of all is is thank you man like you yeah. so it first of all on any tv show it's very rare that anyone crew or cast stick with you the entire run of that show because it's such a revolving door of people that normally people are in and out very often and glenn you were literally there from day one till the until they kicked us out of the studio at the end day zero there was a day Mm -hmm. zero day zero day zero Yeah. yeah yeah my goodness that was yeah and uh, and yeah, it was at 2015 or something. And then yeah, and then it was uh, then it was cat in the school. Was that day one? Mm-hmm, that yeah. was day one. I will never forget. You did. There was the first shot I did was this close up of my eyes. Mm-hmm. And of course, when you have McGee directing, you walk onto set and he throws you in the deep end of the pool. Yeah. I'm going okay, cool. Let's just dive right into playing this character with a shot of my eyeballs. But it was you, and you, I just remember instantly you put me at ease and you walked me right into it. And from that point, I just remember going, okay, I'm in good hands here, and I can learn as well as work and create this story. And that was so exciting to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's for me too, is like, if I don't learn something new on set every day, it's like, I may as well get another job because it's all about learning. Right. (laughs) Right. And see, this is why I think our crew got along because we all sort of felt that way. We all wanted to learn and we all wanted to tell the story in the best way possible. Yeah. Yeah. It was a wonderful crew and and it was a high turnover. Yeah. But Glenn, tell us how, how you got involved in the show, how, what, was there anything in particular that drew you to it? Were you approached or did you, cause I know sometimes you almost have to like audition for it. You were, you interview for the role, right? Well, I, I not on this case. Uh, I had previously worked with uh, first season director of photography, uh, Eric Kayla. I was a second unit DP mm-hmm. for him on uh, a France Canada co-production called uh, 13, like X I I I the series. Uh, mm-hmm. It was also heavy on stunts and, uh, and not based so- on the video game. I think so. I guess so. Yeah. I d- like about a spy who loses his memory. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know it was a video. I game. just finished playing that video game. Oh yeah. That's wild. Huh. I just finished playing. <laughs> well, we, it. It, great. we did. It did two seasons here in Toronto, and and uh, I so I had worked with him there. He hired me. I sent him my reel to be the second unit DP, and then we worked again in Nova Scotia on a show called Haven, which uh, was did five seasons. Mm-hmm. I did season five for them. And then from that, it was like I'm coming to Toronto and uh, got another show. Oh, so you weren't based in Toronto? I am based in Toronto. Yeah, you but, are based in but, Toronto. But I yeah, travel I like uh, Nova Scotia, wherever yeah. I shoot, Winnipeg. You know. Yeah. Uh, recently right, in, right, right. in Newfoundland. Oh, amazing! Yeah. No way. What were you shooting in Newfoundland? I've been doing three seasons on a show called Hudson and Rex. So I've been living there half the year, and I'm packing, oh, and, I'm packing and leaving in two weeks for another six months. 
Oh yeah. my goodness. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's a wonderful city. So it's good to be there. <gasps> well, congratulations. Great. Well, that's, that's Britain's awesome. oldest colony, Dom. I mean, we're both British citizens, but it's Britain's oldest colony. <laughs> I take no responsibility for what we colonized. That yeah. wasn't me. I wasn't there. Yeah. <laughs> Anything to do with me. Um, Glenn, why don't you talk us through, because um, this is something that I find so fascinating about the work that we do. You know, so many people give actors these accolades of like, oh, you work so hard and you do all this. And my response is always the same. The crew turns up an hour before us. They don't leave mm-hmm. till an hour after us. And they're lugging around, you know, a 20 to 40 pound camera all day, every day. And during lunch, they don't have like a nice cozy trailer to go and sit in. The heroes of our show are like the camera crews, the mm-hmm. hair and makeup teams who show up an hour early, like the guys who are like on the ground doing the real work. Those are the heroes. So why don't you talk us through like, what's a sort of standard shadow hunters day like what does yeah. that look like first tell us tell us what it is you do on set and tell us a little bit about you know sort of what what your day would look like okay so um i am a camera operator and in today's productions uh when i started out there was always only one camera because film was it was like putting gold through the camera but now we're all digital so now we always shoot with at least two cameras. Mm-hmm. And so there's an A camera and a B camera, Alpha and Bravo, to keep it straight. And uh, we each share, depending on the director and the director of photography, we each take a piece of the scene and break it down as you guys break it down. So there's two cameras generally rolling all the time on you guys. And you have to be, you guys have to be aware of both cameras. And, uh, and that's actually an interesting thing about acting. Uh, for you guys is like if you're just a two-hander say clary and jace in a room well there's another actor in the room and that's the camera it's Mm -hmm. it's it's a sentient being and you have to be as you're relating to your fellow actor you have to relate to the camera as well and it's a silent partner but uh, it's there and you have to be you have to be aware it's there and be related to it and that's what we do that's Mm -hmm. such a fantastic metaphor yeah, it's just something you always have to be aware of. It's not a play. You're not walking to the front of the stage and, and your whole audience is out there. It's it's like there's something directly in front of you that you have to be aware of. You're looking at this actor, you're looking there, and the light's coming from there. So you guys have to be aware of that. Yeah, it is an odd thing, isn't it? They uh, they say, you know, people talk about this quite a bit with like things mm-hmm. like intimate scenes. And they're like, does it ever get like nah. actually intimate or whatever? And you're like, nah, man, because yeah. there's a camera here. Literally. Like, it's not, our, it's not sexy. Like there's, there's, you know, there's a group of people like in our, you know, if you ever see someone it, like in the middle of a sex scene and it looks like they're looking into yep. the eyes of yep. the person, they're not. They're looking into a camera, into a lens on a camera that's held over top of you. Like it's a, you know, in Jace's bedroom, I have been hovering over you guys with a camera. With you guys this far away, but I'm this far away. And it's just so funny. Yeah. Very sexy. Yeah, we all, so we all become funny. family real oh, quick God. on, on How set. Funny. You know, yeah. Yeah. And it's you know, there's nothing sexier than like yeah. being in the middle of a, a love scene and you're like, oh, that's yeah. a that's a lens right next to my ear it's a guy with Hello, really folks. long hair hovering over me <laughs> <laughs> you were listen i actually remember this you were always you were always polite enough to tie it yeah. up for us when you were stood over top of us and i really appreciate I mean, we that. always knew we always knew when it came down to get down to business because the hair went up yeah. when glenn's hair is up you know it's time to roll and time to work and yeah. we're getting mm-hmm. down to business but that's uh basically yeah and then 
you know, you guys, we had other camera operators over the first season was Dino, Steadicam guy. Yeah. Dino, yeah. Second season, we went away from Steadicam and we had two, cl- I'm a classic operator, I'm a geared head classic operator. And uh, we got Drew Potter in second and third season as the mm-hmm. other operator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, who I think Drew is going to join us at some point as well, which is very exciting. Why don't we talk about, Glenn, the evolution of... So we sort of touched on this very briefly, um, and you're one of the very few people that will be able to actually talk about how difficult it was and why those changes were made. The main one for us was the glass in the Institute. So yeah. season one, everything was yeah. made of glass. Everything. Mm-hmm. Like the the windows, the, the banisters, the boundaries, like everything was made of glass. And then we yeah. quick yeah. smart made a change come season two. So why don't you why don't you talk to us tell tell the listeners um, a little about that because there's no there's no way in which anyone would know that without you know. Well, and the in fact, I didn't even think about it until watching it back. You, when we were doing season one, I didn't know to think about reflection and camera angles and all these things. But watching it back, I go, wow, mm-hmm. how did they even manage? Well, yeah, it looks reflections look great. Mm. But they cost time, and that's one thing a film yeah. set doesn't want. They don't want you to cost time, as you know, because it's expensive. Yeah. So if you are seeing every camera in reflection and every light in reflection, uh, it's it becomes really time-consuming to try to hide them or put a blind up or you know a, a flag or a whatever, mm. and then it just costs us time. So I think then those art direction ideas come back in and everybody kind of it's like a invention you have to rejig it for mark ii and that's that's what uh, that's what they had to do totally my favorite example of this is actually not from shadow hunters so in the matrix the first matrix there was a, a scene where they morpheus and neo are going into i think the oracle's apartment and she has that gloriously shiny doorknob and you see Morpheus's hand reach for it and turn mm. the doorknob. They couldn't hide the camera because they were shining the doorknob. So look, I'm literally looking at the picture right now and it is crazy. They put Morpheus's jacket, which is black, over the camera so you can see the lens of the camera, right. but only just and it's right. mixed in the black, but it's in the movie. If you watch it, if you look for it, like that shot and you see the lens of the camera, but they hit it and it's, that that wild creativity that has to come on set of like we can see people in the background. What do we do? <laughs> we I kill him. I guess so just many shoot, oh shooting dead. So because it was a highly reflective show, and there's a lot of close-ups, yeah. and we always have to hide the camera behind something or in something. And also, Glenn, the number of shots that I yeah. did tied to your dolly being drugged <laughs> on the ground. <laughs> I have so many videos of that over the years when i remember shooting some of that just on my iphone back when you know but uh when you get to that episode i will probably post that picture uh oh, it's actually do. a video uh, of please you, do of you being please dragged do. behind the do- by the dolly it's pretty funny yeah. <laughs> i just at that but that's something Wild. i was always so grateful for is having the fact that you were such a constant force on the show that when I show up to set and they go, hey, Kat, we're going to tie your ankle to the dolly and drag you across the parking Uh-oh. lot. I go, yeah, great. Yeah. Fine. I trust Glenn. We're going to be fine. Well, you guys are troopers. <laughs> I mean, it was uh, it was yeah. amazing to have you guys come in. And it wasn't like, like we gelled. Everybody kind of gelled right away as family. There were no major egos. And, uh, mm. you know, it was just that was that's mm-hmm. what made it so fun. And it must be good for you guys, too, to have some sort of like going from season one to season two and then season three, at least to have some sort of continuity Mm -hmm. with the camera people, which 
was only me at that. Point. Oh my god, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Even just like those looks, you know, when someone comes on and they they like it happens so rarely in our show, but I remember there were like a couple of times where someone would come on and not really get it fully, yeah, yeah. you know, not get the full and just that little look of like, huh, you, you know, between Glenn and myself <laughs> or Cat and Glenn or whoever it was, just that little look of like. They don't quite get it, do they? Yeah. Interesting, cool. At least we know, you yeah. know, at least we know where we're at. Yeah. Well, and there's so many little things as well that can be adjusted that, you know, when when you do have that open flow of communication can just make the day go faster. But on top of that, it, it especially becomes mm-hmm. important in the fight scenes. And that's something that I always, because especially Dom and I did so much of our own fighting on the show. It's a dance between you and Drew and me and Dom yeah. as we kind of figure out where you mm-hmm. are as we're wielding swords and punches and kicks and trying to get the shot and adjust in live motion. I love shooting stunts. Uh, and with you guys, like in talking about that third silent actor in the room, um, it's like in a stunt when you're right in there, like in the, say the Institute training room or whatever, I loved getting into the fights, mm-hmm. like handheld, you're wielding swords and everything. So it can be dangerous. And you guys ever, <laughs> you guys have rehearsed it ad nauseum when we're seeing it for the first time and taking mental notes of when you lunge with the sword or whatever. And we feel it out. Well, hold on. You don't just pause. Sorry, real quick. Yeah. You don't get like the previs of the fights or anything. I had always assumed the little videos that we recorded were sent to you guys. So you at least vaguely knew where to no. place yourself. Only on the what? day. Only on the day. And then I'd go wow. to Steve Lachescu or Darren. Was it Darren next season? Darren it was Darren Meyer. Yeah. Two, yeah. And, and it's like, can I see, can we see it? I need to break it. I need to see the breakdown. And then I would record it when you guys first re- rehearsed it. And then I would just go over it and over it and see where I can get in and see where, where I can. Cause you know, I, I need to know when you're lurching with a sword. <laughs> so <laughs> just I, maybe. So I can yeah. be in a safe place. But I, those are my favorite scenes. Well, I that's love. the other thing. Yeah, no, I yeah. love, I love the wire work and I love fights. Yeah, because the you know the other thing that I think people forget uh, when it comes to to camera operating is like you 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 can't really see you have the field of vision of what your lens is because you mm-hmm. one eye is closed and the other is in your you know in your viewfinder so it's and it's sort of the same with us like when it comes we've talked a lot about um, on the show we've talked a lot about trust and how important trust is where especially when you're doing things like these fight scenes so. This is actually the first time where you completely sort of had to trust that we wouldn't swing too wide or come back because you don't really, correct me if I'm wrong, you don't really have that peripheral vision like when you're in there shooting. And not everybody does. Some people close that eye, but I've trained myself to like be a a halibut or a walleye or something and use them. Have you ever noticed? I always keep this eye open to watch Mark's watch Mike's and this eye is to frame. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And so then I can see when you're going to wow, lunge. that's a real skill. It's a weird, it's a weird, yeah. I was told that's when amazing. I was a focus builder, try to learn how to do this. And I, I've always done it. Okay. So this begs the question, you know, for folks at home who maybe would love to be a camera operator or are curious, how, how did, what was your journey in becoming who you are and what you do? How did you start? What inspired you to become a part of this industry? Well, I think... We relate here. I think was it your mother, the cat, that got you a camera, got you into photography? My mother did when I was like 
13. Oh, wow. That's amazing. I did. I did steal my mom's film camera. Yeah. Well, she gave it to me, but I kind of stole it. <laughs> yeah. And I, I stole my mom's. Uh, she took a photography course when I was 13 and I was like, oh. And then the next thing you know, I was 14 and I had a dark room. So I was always into cameras. I was always into photography. When I uh, and I went to school for communicate, communications and um, but when I thought, I'm going to move to Toronto and be a director. So yeah, right. Um, so I, I, and I thought the way to do that is to become an AD. So when I moved to Toronto, cause an assistant director must mean director. Yeah. So at one point I realized, uh, no, you're just moving a lot of background around. And then, and then I got asked to be a camera assistant and I immediately transitioned. I knew everything about cameras already. Yeah. So just from my mother, yeah, just from learning photography. girlfriends it's me carol fisher i'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of the girlfriends in season one we told you about the murder of gail katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend bob at one point a woman's torso washed up on staten island and was misidentified as gail she spent nine years in gail's grave and then she just disappeared it's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her and that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. (laughs) You couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels. A story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, when you're, when you're, that's the other sort of the progression. I think that that would be interesting to talk about. So you start as a camera assistant, and then you work your way up the ranks, and eventually, is it you know the same as us? Someone sort of takes a, a chance on you and is like, "Look, here's your day behind the camera. Show yeah. us what you can do." Yeah, and and it's interesting that transition because when I was a camera assistant, it was in film days, and I was just looking mm -hmm. at some old negs and scanning them of my earlier crews and film days. And it's like now camera crews are massive, but back then it was like DP operator, focus puller, second, and trainee is four people in the show. Wow. <laughs> wow. It's film, right? So wow. Yeah. So, yeah. so what was that transition? The money like? goes on the film. Yeah, I mean, being becoming so accustomed to working with film and and to going about your your day and your creative life in that way, then transitioning into digital, what what was that like, and how did that change everything for you? Well, by the time I transitioned into digital, I was just looking through a viewfinder, so it's just getting used to a digital viewfinder instead. Uh, all that film stuff going away—that's all with the camera assistance. And by then, I was like, I mean, seriously. Sure. I don't even know how to turn that camera on or press the start record button. <laughs> All I do is look through a viewfinder and, and operate with a geared head. If somebody said That's to me, great. oh, I'm over here, Glenn, please turn on the camera. I'm like, uh. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Because it looks like the the side of the camera looks like the the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon. Like yeah. I've looked at the side <laughs> of it a bunch of times and it's, it's just this cacophony of like buttons and switches yeah. that I'm told repeatedly, Dom, do not touch any of these. You will ruin the day. Yeah, do not I'm, touch them. I'm the same. Don't touch any of them. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what they do. <laughs> well, don't sell yourself too short. I mean, I you know, this is something that I, I was always um, super grateful for is, you know, as actors, we don't get told a lot. We just get told, you know, stand here, do this, say this, wear this. When it comes to the technical side of, of filmmaking, you and the rest of our crew were always so open to us going, well, wait a second, what does this mean? And why are you doing this? And how does this work? And, you know, what what does the line mean? And, you know, you, you taught us so much. And I think that's why we ultimately worked so well together. Crossing the line. I, for like eight years of my career, had no idea what that meant. 
and it was actually you and Drew. Yeah. I was like, oh, I get it. But it took it it really took like people sort of understanding that like he's gonna need a little hand holding through this. Like, <laughs> let's really ease him into what this means. And that was you and Drew figured yeah. figured that out for me. So Again, thank you. I mean, your audience probably doesn't know much about the line, but it, it's a difficult one. Like, I, I don't have a difficulty with it. My mind is just always there. But but uh, even directors have difficulty with that. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a tough thing to grasp. It's very tough. Yeah. And for so those I, folks since that, we're there, yeah. why don't we go, go, go. explain what the line... Oh, Kat, go ahead. No, go, 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 please. I'm, I don't know how to describe I it. I was going to ask Glenn to do it because I still don't really... <laughs> I wouldn't know how to explain it. So, Glenn, why don't you explain Glenn, what, tell us what the line the is. Let me get out my chalkboard one second. Glenn Warner's TED Talk. Here we go. Yeah, well, I don't know how to do it uh, visually. Oh, I guess I have to do it audially because this is a podcast. So, oh, so we'll keep mm-hmm. it basic again and down to see. There are two actors facing each other because most scenes have at least two actors facing each other. Sometimes it's two on two. Sometimes it's or in Shadowhunters, it's three on two or whatever. Now, <laughs> if you are uh, when you shoot a master of a scene. You will pick, say, Cat is facing Dom. So if we are looking, if Cat is facing Dom and she's facing him left and Dom's facing her right, nose facing right, that means we've picked a line. We've, we've been on this side of, of that scene. Now, what generally, it's not, it's just a rule you can break, but it does disrupt an audience. If you, then suddenly cross over to the other side of that line we've drawn between the two actors. And then suddenly Kat's nose is facing right. Then that jars the audience and it pulls them out of the story. And that's what you really don't want to do. I hope I got my left and right there the second time I came back to it. But no, that's exactly right. And it's, you're right because there are these moments like, and I'm, I'm assuming that, Almost everyone has seen one. Yeah. You've seen a time when on camera the line was crossed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You didn't know what it was or why. It just You were just a little like, huh, that's weird. Mm-hmm. Why? But I don't know why that's weird. I had one recently where they filmed a scene and we were rushed through the scene. And I knew that they crossed the line and I mentioned it. And they're like, it's fine. We're going to reverse it. And I was like, you can't, you can't do that with me. <laughs> just me but you can't just flip the image and they were like no no it's fine don't worry about it and i'm like okay but i'm one of the very few actors if you flip the image my eyes are now on the wrong side <laughs> his eyes on the wrong side <laughs> backwards yeah <laughs> it's like oh no and i watched it and i was like yep there it is yeah, it is it is sure it's, it's mirror so world dumb oh yeah. no yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. And I, I always was in awe of, you know, your line of work and, and the technical side of filmmaking. It's something I've learned more about, but I, I didn't truly understand how much I had to learn until the pandemic when I, we, I did this untitled horror movie at home where I was doing everything. I was setting up the shots. I had to light it. I had to do everything just being taught by our DOP through zoom who had never been in my house before, who really didn't know. <laughs> and, and I was DITing. I was my own camera assistant. I was doing that. We were doing all of it. And I just sat there and I went, Oh my gosh, I'm I'm so glad I get to try this and I'm learning so much, but I really miss just having to focus on my job. Yeah. <laughs> instead of doing all of the jobs. Mm-hmm. Um but it it really, you know, once there's a, a huge difference between watching it and doing it yourself, but I was so grateful to have had the foundation that you gave me. So thanks for that. And sometimes we would just if if you guys had a question, I would just say, "Okay, you come over here, you be the camera, I'm going to go be you." 
And then, and then yeah. that's easy to explain that way when you're actually seeing it, what the camera is seeing, take a look and see what we're looking at. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Something I want to know. So I get asked this almost every time I have sort of a fan interaction. Um, and I, th I think it would be really interesting to hear a different point of view on it. Um, two things I get asked more arguably than anything else. The hardest scene I had to film, the one that was the most difficult for whatever reason. And then the scene, my favorite scene whatever my favorite scene is in the show. So for me, my answers are almost always the same. My mm. favorite scene is the end of season two. Oh, yeah. my, it's one of my favorites because everything worked and we left that day feeling like, wow, the, it, everything just kind of fit into place that day. And then the hardest scene for me just is an emotional-based thing was the, you remember we did the dreamscape and there was all the dead clarys and yeah. I just had to be crying over and over and over and There's over again too many for of hours. Me. Couldn't have and it. that emotionally, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, emotionally for me that took a real toll so that's always my answer so what what would you say would be the hardest thing you had to do and then your favorite scene on the show it's a big question and i apologize for just throwing it at you yeah yeah no Take problem i think and maybe you guys can relate to this i think the hardest scenes uh to shoot are the ones well it became quite like anytime you're working on a show with the title shadow in it or night something that means you're going to be shooting a lot of nights. And sometimes in that first yeah. season, um, <laughs> the, our call time was rarely before noon. Sometimes we'd be starting at four or six and uh, we'd be yeah. starting mm -hmm. at six on a Friday. Um, and, and those are really difficult because you ruins all your relationships at home. <laughs> and because and, uh, yep. you never see it anybody. Does. It really does. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's called, the, it's called yeah. the divorce uh, the weekend because it's, it's they call it Friday day for those who don't know because you start late on a Friday, mm -hmm. you finish uh, midway through Saturday or whatever, and then you start again early on Monday. So in the first season, we had a lot of those and a lot of really crappy night hours, which are just hard on the body. Mm -hmm. Another thing that's very that improved, by the way, in season two and three because our showrunner had young children. And so he built all of those night right. sets in the studio. <laughs> so that, yeah. that improved for I gotta us. Get, I got kids. Got to get home. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. So we weren't starting at six o'clock often uh, in second and third season. Mm -hmm. But the other thing is atmospherically Anytime you're in a hazard uh, set with a lot of hazards, um, like um, <laughs> special effects, like the Sealy throne yeah. area with they were blowing oh. fans up and suds coming down and snow and particulate, and we're all trying to breathe. We're all trying to breathe, and then they got these fans, and our studio mm -hmm. is an old factory. And they're blowing fans up into the I-beams that have had six inches of dust on them for 40 years. And not only is the particulate <laughs> in the snow coming down, but now all this dust from 40 years is coming down on us. And, uh, and who knows yeah. what's in that? I mean, our Shadowhunters crew made masks yeah. cool before masks were cool. I'm just going to say. True. That is so true. <laughs> it's. I remember those days because I would leave... I would leave feeling very like COPD, like my lungs were all a bit of a mess. And then I'd blow like, I blew the Pussy Willows Day, uh, actually not in the Sealy Court, the one with that, with the demon in the courtyard. Do you remember yeah. that? Yeah. With the, Azazel. And there were all the Pussy Willows and I had to do the flip, yeah. Azazel. That day, so for about two days afterwards, I was blowing Pussy Willows out of my nose. <laughs> like it was, I would go and blow it out of my yeah. nose and be like, that, how is that still like, where is the storage in my nasal cavity that is holding these? Yeah. This doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Have you have you had like a someone check out your sinus? There might still be there. Yeah. 
you don't know. Might still be there. I'm growing the plant now. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's making its way. It's going to come out your nose in a couple of years. <laughs> those are the, those are, and then we had another fire set because the, the apartment, uh, yeah, and and, uh, and it was everybody oh, yeah. was wearing masks. And, and, of course, it's funny when the actors show up. You guys show up. And the entire crew is wearing masks, and you're like, you can't wear one because you got <laughs> like, a, wait a minute, yeah. They got, a shot of, they got a shots of Matt doing this. All, Matt's doing this all day. He's like trying to act and rehearsing. <laughs> and he's just doing the face this. Of this shirt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How oh, funny. Yeah. Oh man. Oh man. Yeah, yeah, we do what we got to do. Great. But but to be fair, you all, you know, we're we're in the space that's been cleared out and made to look pretty. And, you know, where you are, where the camera is, it's often, you know, the dusty corner that people oh, yeah. have hid things in and swept all of the dust into. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> so exactly we're, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's, it's truly, it's so great though to have that kind of camaraderie though, because we, it's not an easy show to shoot. But when you have people that you genuinely enjoy working with and genuinely enjoy spending time with, it yeah. makes it just a treat no matter what kind of trench you're in together yeah and the scenes i liked shooting was uh in the the ops center because usually it'd be all five of you guys or four of you and then whoever was the guest and Mm -hmm. so those were all fun days because you guys just crack me up and crack everybody up it's fun having (laughs) all of that life on set the rehearsals are fun the shooting is fun we never get anything done because you guys are laughing all the time, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, we're just a bunch of ragamuffins. It's fine. Oh, we no. just, we're just always shenanigans. We it's bad. Do you see it? Do you see it coming? Oh, yeah. Do you oh, see yeah. it coming like when one of us is about to go? You're like, do you well, look at your team and you're like, oh, shit. You're like, no, oh, boy, it's no, going to be a long got, one. Because you've got me going, too. And I've, I've actually literally <laughs> had the camera shaking with yeah. Mark Burdock behind me on the dolly with the dolly shaking trying to keep a straight face and it's almost impossible it's almost impossible yeah i don't feel so bad then dom and i were just talking about this there was one scene in in episode nine of season one or episode 11 of season one that was me isaiah dom and uh adam harrington who played michael wayland and we could not keep it together could not keep it together and we we feel so bad even now just because it put the day behind but if you guys are laughing too yeah. i don't i don't feel oh, yeah. so bad yeah yeah i'm not paying for the show so <laughs> i can i can laugh. <laughs> and the other scenes i love shooting are, are the wire work i love the wire work and i love the stunts like i love being in there on stunts with you guys like i said and it's mm-hmm. fun just watching you guys do wire work and you guys getting buffed over time. It's Yeah, right? Yeah, oh my yeah, God, we slowly, all changed slowly. so much. Yeah. It was, the wires are fun. Again, it comes back to that trust thing because mm-hmm. it's, you know, fairly obvious where your trust needs to be in the main part. You know, I've got Dean literally holding on to the cable that's stopping me from falling to the floor and this, that, and the other. I have to trust that we all got it right. But then you also have to, like, some of these stunts are actually quite scary mm-hmm. and you have to trust that Glenn is going to get it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. There's nothing like doing something that frightens you yeah. and then having someone go, ah, I missed it. Sorry, let's go. Lens cap was on. Let's take that off and go again, you know? Yeah. Or even the emotional moments, because so often it's at the 11th hour and we're moving so fast. There's always one take where you know you're in exactly Mm -hmm. the right place. And just knowing that we have people like you who are so solid and are going to be there, and even if something changes, are going to dance with us and enjoy it. It's, it's, It's also the fact that clearly you... 
you have such an artistry with everything that you do. And I, it was my favorite thing to watch you between takes because you'd just drift over and grab a candle and just move it into the side of your frame. Or yeah. just you'd always be slightly adjusting things so that you enjoyed what you were shooting and that you put your own little yeah. little touch on it. And, and you can see it in the show. It adds so much to the yeah. visual elements. And that's what it is. That's what we do. It's like we're, we're eye candy. That's what, that's what the whole show is. You guys yeah. are literally eye so candy, speaking and we're of, making eye candy. <laughs> speaking of making eye candy, were the googly eyes you guys? Was that you and your team? Yeah, I think Burdock. I think it was. Burdock. That was you guys, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, they were these little dotted about. So, like, why don't you tell us what that was? Because that Please was that was one that eyes. we thought was hysterical. I don't know oh where. I don't even know how it started, but some we had a lot of statues throughout the sets and everything and and as and suddenly all these googly eyes started appearing on all our statuary and things like that <laughs> and things on set it was just like very bizarre it was like uh, I, and mm-hmm. i was like who's doing that i think it was burdock my dolly <laughs> group oh great amazing. stuff because we would turn up one day and we'd be like rehearsing and you put like your arm on a bust in magnus's apartment and you look down and it's looking back at you and you're like whoa yeah. <laughs> for those there and then I think it just gets legs and then everybody starts doing it. Oh, of course. Yeah, That's exactly. the fun of a set yeah, yeah. is when you know, we're doing things <laughs> that are so heavy and are so dark and emotional. It's nice when occasionally you can just all have a laugh. Yeah, yeah. But but to that, you know, is there any moment that you would love to go back to during the series? Any scene that you go, I wonder what would have happened if we would have tried this or shot it a different way or, or anything that you would have done differently? Well, I think um, – I think season, yeah, season four would have been. It was all the the thing we kind hey. of, yeah. <laughs> that was a, well. We yeah. can talk about that later, but that's such a tragedy. Well, yeah. I think um, artistically, like, so I don't know. This, you guys are probably in the same boat here. Uh, when a show is starting out and getting on its feet, like, there's a period where you have to figure out the group dynamics on a set, uh, mm-hmm. and I I call this the shakedown period, um, and it could take a week or two. <laughs> And everybody has to figure out how they fit. Like when we're starting out, it was McGee starting it. And I hadn't worked with him. I hadn't worked, you know, with uh, any of the producers or showrunners. And then everybody on set is an artist, right? So at any given time, there could be 30 people with an artistic opinion. But thankfully for us, there's a hierarchy and because we're kind of like the military. So I might have an opinion, but, and I can put it out there. But if, if uh, somebody says, no, I don't like that idea, they outrank me. That's that's, but you guys have a whole other thing going on. You have to defend characters. So if you can, you can outrank people. It's like you you can make those artistic decisions, right? You have to defend Clary and Jace because you guys are the ones who have to carry them forward. Sometimes, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Sometimes. sometimes, and sometimes you go to you go to defend, and they go, "Shut up! You're an actor. <laughs> that's enough out of you." <laughs> and, and you go, like, "Okay, fair enough, yeah. fair enough." <laughs> But that is something you learn on a series, yeah. Normally that is the case. Normally, yeah, you, you're right. We, you know, and, and whether they're good guys or bad guys or whatever, you develop this sort of relationship with the characters that you're working with. And I, like, I do want to protect Jace. Like, I, yeah. there was one in particular, and I remember it not going my way, but there was, like, something that happened, and I'm not really going to talk to it because it, however I talk about it, it's going to end up shitting on somebody. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to do that. But there was something that happened in the story, and I was like, I think this is a bad idea. Like, I really don't think this is something Jace would do. I don't think this is a decision that he would make. 
um, and I was overruled. Yeah. But it, mm-hmm. I do, I remember feeling that passion for him. Like this is, this is like, I know who this guy is. I've spent yeah. the last two years of my life feeling what he feels every day. I don't think this is the choice that he would make. Right. We live with these characters and we live in their head and in their world for so many hours a day, for so many years. Yeah. They become a part of you. Yeah, and and it's something, you know, I came from the world of theater where it's, you you make the choices, but ultimately you have to fit into the, you have to be a cog in the machine of whatever the show is. And you just have to sort of serve the piece because the piece is the the thing that's, you know, spans across time. But when you have, when you come into television and you have a character where the director isn't consistent, you have a new director coming in every episode and each director will have, and I'm sure this factors into your job too, Glenn, they have their own vision for what they want to do with their their shot at the show and their moment and they want to put their stamp on it, which is all well and good, but ultimately we're the ones that have to carry the story visually and character-wise through. And so it, it becomes this dance of going, you technically outrank me, but I'm the protector of this character. And I think I think we all care so much about the story and the character that we found a way to do it. And it it taught me a lot about, you know, actually having a say creatively. I'm in that same dance because I'm technically, as an operator, I'm in a creative triangle with the director and the cinematographer. So director, cinematographer, mm-hmm. and I'm at the like the bottom of that triangle. And I have to, <laughs> I have to navigate mm-hmm. between their artistic ideas because sometimes they don't yeah. have the same feelings towards the show. And the DP is the continuity totally. of the show, just like the actors are, right. whereas the director is a hired gun and comes in. Uh, you know, per mm-hmm. show, one or two shows per season. Hired gun. Yeah. Hired gun, I love it. Fucking <laughs> brilliant. I'm using that from here on out. That is so every every time this is gonna make me no friends, but I think every time I get a new director on a TV show now and be like, oh you're the new hired gun for this episode. Great. I like it. So they are. I'm gonna be fired <laughs> so quick. But then in my my little how do we do a triangle? In my triangle I then have to take those guys and I translate it down to my, I have to take their ideas and translate it to my mm-hmm. other triangle, which is me, my focus puller, and my dolly grip. And that's how we have to yeah. translate their or create the, the above the line artistic ideas into actual yeah. visuals, including you guys. So, talk to us a little bit about that relationship because, you know, between the camera assistant and the focus puller and the operator, because I always, you always seemed as though you were just one symbiotic being throughout the course. And I always admired your nonverbal communication. So do you travel with your team? Do you have the same team generally? Or does it change with productions? Or how does it tell us a little bit about how that works? Yeah, for the so folks at it, home that it, don't know. It, uh, in terms of teams of my, my camera team, um, like it's funny, like when Eric Kayla left the first season and I thought, well, I, I guess I'm out of a job because there's having two new, now they're having two DPs and they have their own guys. And I just, just contacted Chris Hatcher and he, he gave my name to the DP. So I came back on. But um, in terms of sometimes you're on a show where, uh, especially when it's super busy, like in Toronto, everybody's mm-hmm. busy. So you don't always get your same crew. Sometimes you get like, this is going to be your guy. And thankfully, um, like I literally trained my dolly grip in second season from being a sandbag carrying grip to being a great dolly grip who was artistically like mm-hmm. uh, now suddenly aware of how the camera moves and how the actors move and how the camera should move around the actors. So, um, and of course, now I'm on a show on the East Coast. I just have a totally new team. Oh, wow. Totally new team. Mm-hmm. 
Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. (laughs) You couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. She's breathing right now? Yes, she's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
after sort of I'd say even like a couple weeks maybe three four episodes in we, you you know you read a script and you start to like I know how Kat's going to do this and I know how she's going to move into this and I kind of know what her physicality is going to be and I wonder if if do you guys ever reach that point like was it early was it late do you never reach that point where you're like you come into a day and you're like I think I know what Dom's going to do with this I can sort of pre-plan some stuff because I know how Dom's <laughs> going to take it you know what I mean or like I know what Kat's going to do here or I know how uh Miles Dale is going to direct this I know what he's going to ask us to do you know that sort of stuff it's, it's true that's uh, that's exactly what happens um it's like I you start to know how somebody somebody's gait uh, how somebody stands up from a chair because mm-hmm. ah. you have to get that down, right? You have to nail it with the frame. As somebody. Yeah. So you get, do get to recognize how people move uh, individually, like you guys, wow. Emerald, uh, Matt. It's like you have to physically. Mm-hmm. And also, but one thing you were talking about is reading the script and knowing is like we're we're storytellers. We do I, I do read the script. Of course. We have to. I have to know yeah. the story. Otherwise, I won't be able to tell it visually. So, right. so we do have that going in, and based on that, we kind of know we might know what you're going to do. <laughs> well, and you can tell <laughs> you know? it shows on screen. So you read the scripts, same as the rest of us. You know, were there how how invested were you? Like, how what were there points where you went, <laughs> oh no, I can't believe this is happening. Like, there's no way, or like, yes, this is finally happening. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. were there, did you get did you let yourself get invested in these stories, or were you like? I need to detach. I need to tell these stories from like the third person point of view. Or did you feel yourself connecting? Dumb. I'm also British. I don't get emotionally involved. <laughs> <laughs> that's, no. that's Sorry. the best answer yet on the podcast. That's the best answer. <laughs> no, I just, I just look at it practically and see, you know, how, to, how best to tell the story visually. Uh, yeah. yeah. I don't get invested in the, your, in what the, like the love story or anything which like is that. smart because they yeah. keep killing That's us great. off yeah no matter what someone yeah. dies every season yeah exactly i'm actually canadian british sorry i shouldn't just pretend i'm just british yeah don't I, otherwise the canadians will be pissed off don't turn your back on them yeah we need you <laughs> next time we're going up to film in toronto i'm asking for you so please don't piss anyone yes. off there yeah, and get please, sent back to the uk come back. honestly i i am dying to work we with you honestly again. we would love to yeah whenever whenever the auditions hit my desk and you see that it says toronto canada i get just that little 10 percent more excited about whatever the job is because i had such a ball there i had 100 the best time with the best people and i just heard kat's story about uh jade actually showing you around toronto i just that was on the latest podcast i listened yeah. to and uh, mm-hmm. yeah i'm like that's great when you have somebody who's around who knows the place yeah. yeah. Well, of course. And now, although I feel as though I, every time someone mentions to me that they're headed to Toronto to film something, I suddenly go on a whole, you know, diatribe TED talk of you need to go to this place, you need to go here and there and this bakery and go get yeah. jerky here and stay at this place and go to this hike and this bar and this. And it's just, we have all our spots. And I'm, I, we genuinely love the city so much. It's so exciting to get to tell people all of our little gems that we found throughout the city. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't been living here much lately the last three years, but uh, I'm still based oh, I here. Know. Yeah, mm-hmm. heading out yeah, for seven still months. Still home, huh? Yeah, that's yeah, that's the wild thing, isn't it? Like we get settled in these places. I just bought my first house, Glenn, back in the UK, and I'm like finally getting myself kind of settled in. But it's that thing where I like I know once my as soon as my couch like hits the floor, yeah. then I'll get a call being like, "We need you in Toronto again for another four years." We're like, <laughs> that makes sense. 
That yeah, makes exactly. sense. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Exactly that makes sense. Yeah. 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 Well, speaking <laughs> of that, do you, I, we were so fortunate, even though unfortunately the show had to come to an end, we got to shoot this two episode series finale. And I have, I have such vivid memories of you and Drew and people on our crew finally taking advantage of the fact that we had so much freedom and going, okay, this is our shot to do anything we ever wanted with the show. Yeah. And you took full advantage of that. And and so, you know, talk to us a little bit about that and what what that was like for you and and any, you know, any memories you have from the last couple of days we had on set. Okay, a little <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I'll get to that. Let me back up to um, finding out about the end. Can I talk about that? Oh, yeah. yeah. Talk about whatever so, you want. Of course. Yeah, was, yeah. That was like brutal and bittersweet because, you know, mm-hmm. season three was a long season. We started in August uh, 2017 and we, you know, we went 20 episodes and yeah. uh, we wrapped in the early hours of uh, May. It was early May 2018 and everybody mm-hmm. was celebrating and hugging and saying, see you in season four. Right. And yeah. uh, mm-hmm. cause at that point. We all thought we'd been renewed. Well, I did anyway. My crew did. We were basically guaranteed. Everyone was told we're coming back. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. so because we'd worked for so many months straight, we all went off on vacations. We all started spending lavishly thinking, Mm -hmm. hey, we'll be back in a few months. uh, (laughs) Make some more money. (laughs) And then I was like at my cottage or something and I get the call uh, in early June, like a month later, uh, we're canceled. And uh, we're coming back for two more episodes to wrap this up. And uh, it was gut-wrenching because we, we'd come together as a family and, you know, we all kind of came back with our hearts on our sleeve and with a job to do. And it was, yeah. uh, it was very difficult. Yeah. But Todd, Todd was amazing. He, uh, Todd Slavkin, the show, one of the showrunners, um, he mm-hmm. came in to direct the last two episodes. And he was kind of, mm-hmm. what you asked, Kat, he gave us that freedom. He said, if you want to do that, if you want to do something, just go ahead. And I replaced, I DP'd several days because uh, Mike McMurray was away. Mm-hmm. And right. he was yeah. just, yep, yeah, take the chair. Here, do this. We had a lot of fun doing that. And uh, But Todd Todd basically gave us that ability to do what we wanted to do. He's a, He was great. But I think that's sort of twofold, isn't it? Todd is one of my favorite directors who ever came in. And I will, yep. I've told him this in person and I'll say it again on the podcast when we have him on. It's scary having like the boss come in to be because they're in LA all the time. So we don't really ever see them, but they're still the boss. And then to have them come in and take the reins is like, oh shit, like, is this going to be good? Is this going to be bad? Are we going to have this, you know, dictator come in, whatever? And he was one of my favorite directors from the entire run of the show. Yeah. So I think there's that. He had this generosity to him. But more importantly, I think. People like you, Glenn, you earned that freedom. It wasn't just Todd mm-hmm. being like, yeah, you take the reins, whatever, whatever happens, happens, we're canceled, fuck it. It wasn't that. It was, we've seen what Glenn can do. We've watched yeah. it for four years. We know that yeah. Glenn can take the reins here, so let's give them to him. Like, instead of us expending the energy, we know that Glenn can do this, so let's let him do it. Like, let's give him that responsibility because he's earned it. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, I really appreciated that Todd did that as well and uh we saw the thing out and it was difficult because it was all huggy feely and uh we knew we were mm-hmm. ending early and uh and it was really really bittersweet so speaking of let's let's talk about that last day because that is it's so bittersweet but yeah arguably one of my favorite days that i've ever had on set because it was 
the institute we were walking yeah. it was we knew it was going to be our last day it was the institute that set that had been there since day one with some of the crew and cast that have been there since day one all of these people who amalgamated around us my dad somehow ended up there he'd never come to visit me on set before because he's you know he works and whatever and i'm in whatever country and he was just like yeah i have some time and i'm like we're filming the last two episodes ever of Shadowhunters. You want to come and be there for that? He was like, right. I would Your love that. Awesome. So it was a really, yeah. this really special moment for me, which for me, and now a lot of people out there don't know this, my, honestly, one of my most treasured possessions, and Glenn, I hope you remember this, we had the wrap party after we were finished that day on set. They brought out champagne and we all just drank and talked and we had an amazing time. And at one point, Glenn comes over to me with I'm like <clears throat> getting a little emotional just thinking about it with the slate the last ever slate we did on the show which is the the little plastic thing they put on the clapperboard that they do at the beginning of every shot um and the last ever one for B camera Glenn's camera the last ever one we did on the show Glenn gave to me and I have it in my house I have it framed in my house it's my one of my absolute most treasured possessions they made me feel um so special that yeah. that you would give that to me it was a special it was a well, it was a special time it's funny you say that yeah. dom because i'm sitting here looking at it. i'm going to go get it but the last day we shot in clary's bedroom you know they immediately started taking the set down and and i i had to mm. walk away cuz it's it's the same reason i never went back to go see jade wolf once they started taking it down it's just these this these places had become our home and this had become our family and and it was so hard to say goodbye to and it still is but Glenn, you walked over to me and you handed me the artist's model from Clary's bedroom and your whole camera team had signed it. it and it figuring. sits on my dresser. It is sat on my dresser to this day. So cool. It is cool so because cool. Uh, it was our introduction to Clary in her bedroom. Like uh, Clary was mm -hmm. the art student, episode one. And here we were in in episode 55. And uh, I was like, I'm going to get that for Kat and get it to everybody to sign it. Yeah, and everybody signed the That's back so of funny. it. And it sat on my dresser since. It reminds me of, so, because they did do that, didn't they? They started drilling the doors of the set shut because I think yeah. people were starting to get a little sticky-fingered with things. They were just like, <laughs> I have my eye on that for quite some time, and that's going to go. And by about three hours into the wrap party, I was really quite drunk. And I said to my dad, I was like, Dad, come and look at my bedroom set. It's really cool. They made everything practical and whatever. And we get there, and they drilled the door shut, and I was like, fuck. And I've got Chris Hatcher with me, and Chris Hatcher's like, it's okay. Let me just get someone and, and we'll have them under it. And you can, and I was like, yeah, maybe we could do that. And this is what I actually did. I was like, yeah, maybe, maybe. And I went, just like booted the door in. Good chase fashion. Ran in and then security come running over. And there's me, my dad and Chris Hatcher in our room. And I have like flintlock pistols and like anything I could have grabbed from Jace's room all stuffed in my jacket. And they're like, what's going on? And I'm like, oh, nothing, man. No, no, these, I brought these from home and it's like scuttled off with as much as I can I go everywhere with my flintlock pistols and my hawk bust yeah 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 I, I listen you don't go everywhere with this that's crazy uh, I, I put this in my pocket everywhere I go I don't know what you're talking about <laughs> <laughs> and a couple of swords and you know oh, some, some leather jackets yeah it's, it's fine you can yeah I did get away with a sword actually I did get I got given one of my swords and I uh mm -hmm. I ended up, I donated it to a charity auction. So that's, that's 
out there somewhere in the aura. Because they also, they did that auction, Glenn. Do you remember that? So yeah. all of our like, yeah. our like stuff got, so I actually, for the first time again in Dusseldorf, I uh, I met this person who was wearing my my holsters and I was like, oh, yeah. they look incredible. That's absolutely amazing. And they're like, no, 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 these are the ones you wore in the show. And I was like, what? That's crazy. And they let me put them on. And it was the first wow. time I'd worn them in like five years. It was, but oh, it felt, God. you know, I, it was, and I sort of remembered it. I remembered exactly how I put them on. It just happened. I was like, wow, this is so weird. It's like I've been missing them, you know. Well, you probably don't know yeah. this, but I sold all your broken stellies on eBay. <laughs> I would just pick them up off the ground and put them up on eBay, held by Dom Sherwood. Hey, there you go. <laughs> dropped by Dom Sherwood, yeah. You must have made a fortune. I dropped hundreds of the things, honestly. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. This was such a journey for all of us and, and such a wonderful part of our lives. What is like your biggest takeaway from the show? What did being a part of the show mean to you? Just sort of 50,000 feet version of when people go, what was it like to work on Shadowhunters? So it's like, it's like um, just so your audience knows, when you are part of something for such a long time, you become part of a family. And you actually, we call it a film family. And you're, you actually see that film family more than you would ever see your own family. And mm-hmm. so that is the 30,000 feet version is what a great bunch of artists that I am part of. And uh, it's just to feel that you're part of something you know, I, I can just imagine it's like, you know, with Brady and his, you know, Patriots team. Well, that must have been special then, but now he's got another one and that's special too, you know. <laughs> but there's always that yeah. moment where you just recognize this body of people did something quite remarkable and artistic. And, uh, and that's yeah. my takeaway from that. I just love the people on the show. And and well, listening to the podcast is... is um is just kind of bringing me back to it and reminding me of all the hilarity we had. <laughs> yeah. I honestly don't think that there's a better way to end than that. That's no. Can I tell you one little story to end on? One please. Little... Oh, please. Okay. Please. So I'm, I'm tearing up now, so okay. make us laugh. <laughs> okay, so here, I've been working on, on the East Coast in, in the great city of St. John's, Newfoundland, for, mm-hmm. uh, for like six to seven months a year for the last three years. And, uh, and it's a great kind of music and arts culture kind of like you know whales and and it's kind of like the whales Mm -hmm. in canada and it it was its own country until after the second world war and when it became part of canada so they have defined themselves quite well as their own culture so i'm my mom came to visit me and i took her to one of the cafes and i'm walking in and i'm wearing my shadow hunters jacket it was like the season two and I go up to order mm-hmm. my coffee in my mom's whatever, and and the woman behind the counter just blanches and she goes, "What is that on your arm?" And I was like, "Oh, it's uh, called a and then rune." And she choruses rune with me and she's like, "Oh my god, <laughs> is that Shadowhunters?" I'm like the world's oh biggest Shadowhunters fan, and it's like I was like, "Oh yeah, I, um, uh, did you work on Shadowhunters?" And um, and is like, what is on your sleeve? And it was pretty funny because my mom's just watching this whole thing. And we got our <laughs> coffee and everything. We got our coffee and we sat down and we went, as we were going back through the exit, um, she can't, She comes up and she goes, I had to take a moment to myself back there. And her, her workmate goes, yeah, it's true. 
I had to recompose myself. <laughs> she, she was like a big Shadowhunters fan. So she saw ruin on my jacket. Anyway, so your your guys' wow. legacy is Dusseldorf and St. John's. You're around the world. Well, it's our legacy, though, isn't it? And I think yeah, it's really it important to remember, and that's how it should be spoken about. Like, it's it's all of us. Like, no mm -hmm. one of us could have done any of this without any of the others, least of all the people who are pointing the cameras at us. Because yeah, that was the cameras, somewhat fundamental just... when you're doing a TV show. So, <laughs> Glenn, I started this off by saying thank you. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm going to end this by saying thank you so much. You were part of the lifeblood of this show. You were the spinal column, you were the cranium, you were everything that we needed to keep it going for as long as it did. Thank you for for laughing with us and for crying with us oh, and yeah. for standing out in the rain and the freezing fucking cold with us. Yeah. Thank you for being a, a, a partner on this. I couldn't have I couldn't have asked for anybody better. Thank Our silent so scene partner, as you say. And yeah. thank you. Because, you, you know, it was such a huge instrumental part of all of our lives. And, and at least for me, it was 19 to 23. It shaped who I am as a person. So as you said, being surrounded by so many artists like yourself, it's the biggest gift. So just thank you for everything. And thank you for joining us oh, today. Thank you so much. And yeah, it was a pleasure being the third person in your bed. That's got to be the little thing that we put on Instagram. That's got to be the little... <laughs> The little fucking the little the little video that they send us. That is so funny. Oh wow. Brilliant. I that's it. Say no more. Yep. That's the end of the episode. That was great. That's great it. to see Thank you guys. Glenn. And uh, I'm following along on the podcast and when an episode comes up, if I have any shots in the early days there's not a lot, I'll put them up online so that your fan base can see them. Please do. Oh please yeah. do. Thanks, Glenn. Yeah, amazing stuff. Right, great to see you guys. Great to see you too, buddy. Take care of yourself. Okay. Return to the Shadows is hosted and executive produced by Catherine McNamara and Dominic Sherwood. Our executive producer is Ling Lee. Our senior producers are Liz Hayes and Diego Tapia. And our producers are Hannah Harris and Kristen Vermilia. Original music by Alex Kinsey and performed by Alex Kinsey and Catherine McNamara. The episode was mixed by Seth Olansky. Be sure to subscribe to Return to the Shadows wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave us a review. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wounded! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really needs your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Oh! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Pitbull. I think that education is the real revolution because as much as we speak about all the problems that there is in society and the world today, my mother's always told me, son, don't worry, the world's always been coming to an end. Don't let it scare you out of living. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 